0: by who you are and what you've done. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. We see you. Amen. Well, I love this time of year. I know you all do as well. It's a wonderful time to uh, gather together with our family and friends, but also to, to gather together corporately as God's people to praise his name. I know I say this often, but this is a great time to be a pastor every year. It's a great time to, to be able to stand and to proclaim uh, the good news of the coming of Jesus into the world. If you'll take your Bible with me and turn to Luke chapter 2, I want to look at a a familiar Christmas text this morning. Our uh, Christmas series this year is titled uh, Christmas Decorations, and it's a four-part series. We're in part two this morning of it, and um, there's some interesting Christmas decorations out there. Some of you probably have seen some of these. I I thought you might enjoy seeing a few that I've run across. Uh, Here's a good one here. Somebody set that up. It's probably a, all too familiar of a scene. That's probably what mine looks like. You just kind of quit after a while, leave it all ball up. This was at a hospital. It's a very ingenious way, some doctors and I'll put that together. This is a redneck Christmas here, I call this. Uh, this is pretty cool there. Now, for those of you that that, that kind of got offended by the animals in the last one, I got this one up here, a beautiful little scene of a little dog there, so we're we're good to the animals. This is pretty good. This person's a genius, minimal work, yet still fully decorated. The Grinch is there like he's stealing their lights, you know, like they had him everywhere, but anyway, that's pretty good. I like that. This one here, I don't know what this is. I mean, that's just like everything you could think of in Christmas to put up there. And here's another one kind of like it. That was I found online, congratulations, your electric bill is now higher than your house payment. Um, massive. This is pretty cool here. This is the massive Christmas tree that goes through the roof of the house here. There's several of those that are around. Um, I like this one, Dear Santa, to find good. Dear Santa, I can repent. Dear Santa, I can explain all the different ways to come up with this. Uh, my wife made me put up the lights. That's a good one there. And then this is my favorite one here, Ditto. That's what I'd like to put up there. Just uh, let your neighbor do it all and just say uh, Ditto to what they've done there. Well, there, there's a lot of amazing Christmas decorations out there every year. We all like to drive around and see all of those. But uh, there's no better Christmas decorations than the ones we're looking at this year. Uh, We're looking at four what we're calling Christmas decorations. Hope, which Jay talked about last week. This morning, we're going to talk about peace. The next week will be light. And uh, on December 31st, we'll look at joy. And I love these decorations because these are decorations that never go out of style. Uh, These decorations are always attractive. And these are decorations that we want to adorn adorn our lives and our homes and our families this Christmas and, and always uh, the Christmas decoration we want to focus on this morning uh, is peace. Now, we all know there's a universal longing for peace, yet for most people and for our world, peace remains uh, elusive. The Bible recognizes the, the, the yearning in the human heart for peace. The, the word peace occurs in the Bible over 400 times. Um, 18 of the 27 books of the New Testament, somewhere early in the book in the first few verses, uh, mention peace. And we all know that peace is a major theme of Christmas. Uh, We read about it in uh, Christmas cards. uh, We see it in Christmas decorations. We hear it and we see it on uh, Christmas specials on television. Everywhere we look at Christmas, we see and we hear uh, about peace. And of course, this notion of peace comes from the Bible. Let me just uh, read a few verses that have to do with the coming of Christ into the world that speak of peace. We all know about Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Luke 1, chapter 1 and verse 79, Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist is prophesying there, and he says this about the coming Messiah. He's going to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and will guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember in uh, Luke 2:29, after Jesus is born, uh, Joseph and Mary, they bring the, the baby Jesus to the temple, and the old man, Simeon, is there, and he sees the Lord Jesus, recognizes him as the Messiah, and he says, now, Lord, uh, you, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. So, so many of the, of the great Christmas texts speak of peace, but the best-known Christmas text on peace is Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. And we're all familiar with that, that night scene in the shepherd's field, the outside of Bethlehem. The, the angelic entourage comes and appears there uh, to the shepherds. And we have here a portion of the angelic host that come and appear uh, to these shepherds. And here we get a rare glimpse of heavenly praise. And so in our text here this morning, heaven offers praise and it tells us that we're to have peace. I want to look mainly at verse 14, but let's back up to verse 8 and get the context and read this familiar passage. Let me read it for us. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. By the way, that's the only verse in the Bible where you have Savior, Christ, and Lord in one verse. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And in the highest, there probably means in the highest place. That is in heaven, because the next words say, and on earth, peace among men men with whom uh, he is pleased. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. Now, the King James Version, there at the end of verse 14, has peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's how we hear this, and we see it often on Christmas cards this time of year. But Christmas is often anything but peace on earth and goodwill to men. In fact, it can be a time of difficulty and and, uh, disharmony and even depression, uh, really, for some people. Uh, There's a pastor over in uh, England named Tim Chester. He has a series of of really good little books on the Advent. I've read, I think there's three that he has. And in one of the books, he opens the book with these words. He says, Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And we all fondly imagine our family gathered around a roaring fire. The children giggle as they play their board game. Your teenager is making a cup of tea for her grandmother. Your elderly neighbor is sitting happily in his a new hand-knitted jumper. Then someone asks granddad for an old story. You look across at your spouse and smile with a smile of contented satisfaction, peace and goodwill but the reality of Christmas, he says, can be very different. The children are fighting over the television remote. Your teenager only left her room after dire threats and is now sulking in the corner underneath her headphones. Your elderly neighbor isn't there because he and your granddad refuse to be in the same room together. You and your spouse are still not talking after last night's argument. There's little goodwill around and your only moment of peace comes when you take the dog for a walk. (laughs) And then he says this, and this this is powerful. Maybe this fits some of you this morning. He says that perhaps these are problems you'd love to have, but your Christmas will be tinged with grief and loneliness, not peace and goodwill, as you remember the relationships uh, you've lost. Christmas is often anything uh, but peaceful. So what did the angels mean when they announced peace on earth at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, to help us understand this idea of peace at Christmas, I, I thought it'd be helpful to look at four different kinds or four different aspects of peace that Jesus brings. And you can see those in your outline here this morning, and you can see some verses there. And uh, we won't turn to all those. I'll, I'll read some of them for us, but this will give us kind of the full orb view of, of what this announcement of the angels meant. And you'll notice I've got four kinds of peace. There's, there's what we can call upward peace, There's inward peace, there's outward peace, and finally what I like to call onward uh, peace that's coming. When we think about peace on earth, true peace begins with what we might call upward peace. This is eternal peace, or we could call it spiritual peace. It's reconciliation between man uh, and God. And that's the aspect of peace we see here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. Now again the the king james bible translates it peace on earth goodwill to men and we see these words printed on christmas cards every year we've probably already received cards that have that version there we see it on christmas decorations peace on earth goodwill to men these are probably among some of the most familiar words in the bible but what do they really mean they're most often interpreted as kind of an idea of world peace or peace among people or or peace among nations. But if that's what it means, then the coming of Jesus was a massive failure because man's history has been littered with warfare and carnage and strife. Over 100 million people died in the 20th century in wars. Think about that, 100 million people in history, they say somewhere between 150 million and a billion people have died in all the wars of history. We think about you know, peace on earth today, and just one example of lack of peace is the city of Jerusalem today. We see what's happening over there. And it's interesting, what does Jerusalem mean? City of peace. Is there ever a city that seems to be wrongly named? It's the city of Jerusalem, but someday it will be. But, it, but it's a hotbed of hatred. President Trump makes his announcement on December the 6th about Jerusalem being recognized as the capital of Israel, and there's uproar and protest. The the Middle East is a powder keg, we know that, and the lid could blow off there at any time. Just just one example, what we see in North Korea and Iran and all over the world. Luke 2.14 is not about world peace, it's about salvation peace. It's about peace between God and individuals. Peace between God and humans. In fact, the New American Standard is what I'm reading here from this morning. You may have noticed that last verse. It says, peace among men with whom He is pleased. The NIV translates it, peace to those on whom His favor rests. And what this speaks of is peace for sinful people who find peace with God by means of God's favor resting upon them. Daryl Bach is a professor at Dallas Seminary, a New Testament scholar. He's got a big two-volume set on the book of Luke. And on this passage, he says this, that this idea of of those on whom his favor rests, he says, is a technical term in first century Judaism for God's elect. It's the idea of God's chosen. A lot of people don't associate the doctrine of election with Christmas, but it's here in this verse. It's those on whom his favor rests. Peace comes to those that God has chosen as the objects of His good pleasure. This favor and this pleasure of God is not based on any merit of our own whatsoever. God delights to grace us with His peace according to His sovereign will. Now, many people balk at the idea of a God who is sovereign over salvation. But I like to boil it down to a really simple question, and it's this. When you think about salvation, a a sinful person coming into relationship with a holy God, we ask the simple question, who makes the first move? Do we make the first move, or does God make the first move? And I think the Bible would be clear to us that it's God who makes the first move. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. We read throughout the Scriptures those great words, Salvation is of the Lord. God is sovereign over the human heart and over salvation. And Luke 2.14 is not a promise of universal salvation and peace. And this peace here in this verse isn't for everyone, but only for people whom God is pleased to bless through the coming of His Son. So Jesus was born to bring peace between sinful people and a holy God. Uh, to be, as 1 Timothy tells us, that one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Because the problem is, we're born into this world, all of us are, as sinners in rebellion against God. We don't have peace with God. And Jesus is the one who came to make peace, so that's what Christmas is really all about. That this upward peace or this spiritual peace, we might call it, is the basis for all true peace. And this is the most important aspect of peace because it affects everything else. It's what we call peace with God. We have peace with God. In our natural state, we don't have peace with God. We're, we're in rebellion against Him. We're at war with Him. When we come to know Christ as our Savior for the first time, we have peace with God. Let me me read a few verses that say this. Acts 10, 36. You know, this is Peter speaking here. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. There's peace through Him. Romans 5, 1, a great verse. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Colossians 1.20 says, Christ has made peace through the blood of His cross. So Christmas is a time of peace because the one who makes peace between men and God has come. And He can bridge the gap between man and God because He is fully God and fully man the God-man. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. He's the one that brings peace. So the most basic kind of peace that every person in this world needs is peace with God. We need spiritual peace. And this is the peace that God gives to those on whom his favor rests. And it brings us into relationship with God. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible would say that you don't have peace with God. You're still at war. You're still at odds with God. You say, well, how do I get it? How how do I get this peace? There's not any peace between me and God. How do I get it? It's not by what you do. It's by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And again, what does Romans 5, 1 say? Therefore, having been justified by faith, it's by faith, it's by trusting in Jesus we have peace with God. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way that you can ever have peace with a holy God. And so the call this morning is to believe in Him, to trust in Him, to, to believe that He bore your sins on the cross and rose again on your behalf. And You trust in Him and believe in Him as your Savior. That's how we get peace with God. And that's the foundation to all the other peace that we experience in life. Now, the second kind of peace results from peace with God. So you can't have inward peace unless you have upward peace, a peace with God. But this inward peace we might call internal peace, or the the peace with God is reconciliation. We could call this rest when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. we could call this inward peace the peace of God, or emotional peace. It's calm and tranquility down in our lives. So once we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. Now, there are a lot of people who are believers who have peace with God, but they don't have the peace of God. They don't have it because they don't avail themselves of the, the, the resources that God has given to us. But as a believer, we can experience of the peace of God in our lives. I love Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John 14 and verse 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fretful. Jesus wants us to have peace down inside, emotional peace and calm and tranquility uh, down in our heart and down in our life. And then we looked at a passage, it's interesting, in God's providence, we're, we're making our way through the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings. We paused here for this Christmas series. But if you're with us last week, that's what we talked about in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You remember that? It says, don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what these verses are saying is, look, we're, we're, we're prone in our lives to, to be torn up and have lack of turmo- and have turmoil in our lives and lack of peace because we don't keep our mind focused on the Lord, we don't trust in Him, and we don't go to Him in thankful prayer. These verses are telling us, look, when, when turmoil comes into your life, when stress and anxiety and fear come flooding into your life, He says, I will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon me because He trusts in me. In Philippians 4.7 says, Go to the Lord with prayer, with thanksgiving, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will flood into your life. So the peace of God comes from keeping our mind focused on the Lord and from a thankful heart that goes to God often in prayer. And the peace of God drives out worry and fear and anxious thoughts that plague us. I like the story of a man. He uh, went to a psychiatrist and he told the psychiatrist, he said, every night when I get into bed, I think there's somebody under my bed. And so I get down under my bed and look, and I just end up laying down under my bed. And then when I'm under the bed," I get the fear that somebody's on top of my bed. And so I go back and get on top of the bed, and he said, this goes on all night, just up and down, down and up. And he says, it's driving me crazy. He says, do you think you can help me? Doctor said, well, I think I can. He says, you're going to have to visit me twice a week, though, for the next two years. I think I can cure you. But it's going to cost you $75 a visit or about $7,500. The guy said, well, man, I'm just a working man. That's kind of a steep price for me, but this, this problem is really bad. So let me go home and talk it over with my wife, and I'll get back with you. Well, the next week, the man called up the psychiatrist, and he said, uh, Doc, thanks for your offer to help me, but he says, I won't be coming back. My wife didn't like the price per visit, uh, so she solved the problem herself. And the psychiatrist said, was your wife uh, trained in these kinds of things? The guy says, well, no. And he says, well, how in the world did she solve your problem? And he said, she cut the legs off the bed. it's a good, simple solution, right? Sometimes solutions are simpler than we think they are. But I like that story. I read it this week, and it reminded me of the fact that God wants to come in and, and saw the legs off of our worries and our fears and our anxieties and the inner turmoil we experience. And God does this by giving us peace inside when we trust in Him and we turn to Him in thankful prayer, God will come and He'll saw the legs off, the worries and the fretting and the fear and the anxiety uh, in your life. But Christmas is a time for some reason that anxieties and fears and difficulties and conflicts escalate. There's peace though for every one of your problems this Christmas if you have a broken heart this Christmas and you, you feel alone and you're, you're, sensing, you're experiencing grief, there's comforting peace for you, the peace of God in your heart and life. If the troubles of life and the worries of life are overwhelming you, maybe financial worries, whatever it may be, there's calming peace that God can give to you. If you're experiencing guilt and shame, and maybe this time of year being around family creates a regret in your heart and mind, God uh, can give to you uh, a confident peace. But whatever it is that you're worrying about this, you're fretting over, you're afraid of, or that, that's causing you to be upset inside and tearing up your peace, let the Lord come and saw off the legs of your worries and your fears and your inner turmoil. Wouldn't that be great this year to go through uh, the holidays stress-free and worry-free? What does Isaiah say? You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Stay focused on the Lord and trust in him, and go to him often in thankful prayer. And it's the promise of God that he will give us that inner peace uh, that you and I need that peace within. So look, there's upward peace, That's spiritual peace with God. But those of us who have that upward peace, that spiritual peace with God, we can experience inward peace. This is emotional. This is the peace of God. This is peace uh, within. But then there's a third aspect of peace that Jesus wants us uh, to have this Christmas, and that's relational peace uh, with others. We could call this outward peace. It's external peace. The first kind of peace is reconciliation with God. The second kind is rest within. But the third kind then has to do with our relationships. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. This is a great verse. If possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, there's a couple things about that verse. It tells, it tells us, look, be at peace with everybody. But notice what it says if possible, As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There's some people, there may be some people in your extended family, you can't be at peace with them, no matter what you do. And the Bible's saying, look, it's being realistic here, there may be some people you can't be at peace with, but here's the thing that I think is very important. I've always tried to think of this in my own mind. If there's ever a problem between me and another person, I always want that problem to be their problem, not my problem. I don't want the lack of peace to be from lack of my effort or my care or my willingness to embrace the other person. Sometimes with another person, we simply cannot have peace with them. that They won't allow it. But he says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. One of the things uh, I tell young couples when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with them is whatever you've got to do short of sinning, get along with the people in your family. It's not worth it. Life's too short. You don't want to go through life fighting and bickering and and, and having all kinds of turmoil in your home and in your family. Whatever you've got to do short of sinning to be at peace in your families, to, to get along with people, do that. Let If there's a problem, it's got to be on their end and not on yours. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, pursue peace with all men. Everybody we meet, we're to be at peace with them. You know, the tragedy is, and we all see this, and I hope it's not true of any of us this morning, but there are people I'm around periodically and and I look at their life and they're nothing but a walking battlefield. Everywhere they go, there's just carnage and relationships are, are torn up. And the problem is they have a war going on down inside their heart. They're at war on the inside, and everywhere they go, they take that war with them, and it's expressed on the outside. They have no peace of God down inside their heart and life. And Whenever I meet people who consistently cannot get along with others, I know there's a war going on down inside their heart and in their life, and the problem is they're far away from God because the farther away we get from God, the farther away uh, we get from other people. And again, these conflicts and these clashes are far too common um, at Christmas. Um, If if you and I have peace with God, uh, the peace of God down in our lives, it's going to radiate out in our relationships to other people. If you get two people in a marriage who both have peace with God and they both have the peace of God down in their lives, you're going to have two people that have peace with one another. But if one person doesn't have the peace of God in their life, or neither one of them do, it's going to be conflict and it's going to be a difficulty and struggle. What my prayer is for my life and should be for all of us here is that we want to be walking, living islands of peace wherever we go in the midst of a trouble, agitated world. Our culture and society is getting more and more agitated all the time and upset about all kinds of things, and lack of peace. And when we go different places at work, or in the home, or wherever we are, we want to go and be islands of peace there, because we're a person that has peace with God, and we have the peace of God down in our lives. And that might mean we need to forgive some people this year that we've been bearing grudges against. We need to ask somebody else for forgiveness. And we need to be gracious with one another, But when people are around us, I hope that they will sense a peace and a calm. That they will look at us, and they may not know what it is, but it's the peace of God that's ruling and reigning uh, down inside of our hearts and lives. So, look, if you have constant turmoil in relationships, you need to ask yourself, first of all, do I have peace with God? And if I have peace with God, do I have peace within? We need to get those issues settled so that we can have a peace with other people who are around us. May God help us to have that in our homes, our marriages, and our families this year. Now, there's a final kind of peace in Scripture that we could call world peace or global peace or, or onward peace. Everybody here knows, I hope, that peace is coming to this earth someday. Now, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? You look at this world we live in, but peace on earth is coming someday. Uh, many people, though, believe that man is inherently good and that world peace can come by human efforts. That if we just keep working hard enough, that somehow we can bring peace to this world. And that idea is very prevalent generally this time of year. If we just try harder, we can attain world peace. You know, we can have utopia on earth. Uh, back in Isaiah 2:4, it describes a coming day. And it says. They'll hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. It's interesting, those words are engraved on the Isaiah wall in a park across the street from the UN building in Washington, D.C. But despite their best efforts, the UN will never will never ever be able to bring peace to a war-torn world. Did you know uh, in all of recorded history, they, they estimate there's less than 300 years that people have enjoyed peace. About 8% of recorded history has been peaceful. There's been over 8,000 peace treaties in human history that have been made and broken. and I'm sure many of them are in, in process of being broken right now. But, but there's this notion that many people have that man is good inherently. It's just the environment that's bad, but man is good. And man can bring peace on his own to this world. But the problem is, to me, that view is contrary both to history, but it's certainly contrary to the Bible as well. I read a book about two weeks ago by Joe Stoll. It's an old book I've had. I was on a trip and, and took it and read it. It's a small paperback called The Upside of Down. And he told this story and i thought it applied beautifully this morning he said our newspaper recently carried a story about a clergyman who was not only liberal theologically but socially as well his sermons regularly carried the theme of the goodness of everyone he, only the environments are evil he sided against the police often cried out about their brutality he supported laws that favored the rights of the criminal over the rights of the victim he often cast his lot with the aclu and their social activities Never th- needless to say, his, viewers were a, his views were a source of consternation to the old-timers in his flock. A week before this clergyman was scheduled to speak to his church's senior citizens group, he was mugged by a group of hoodlums who robbed and beat him mercilessly. He was injured and shaken both emotionally and philosophically. He nearly canceled the engagement but then thought better of it and showed up in bandages and a sling. As he began his speech, he told how the mugging had caused him to rethink his social social positions. He admitted he'd been shaken to the core. Yet, to the group's surprise, he said that in spite of it, he decided he would not let that violent episode change his view of the goodness of man or his theology. He would go on preaching as he always had. Shocked, there was a woman in the back who couldn't take anymore, an older lady, that finally stood up and shouted out, Mug him again! (laughs) Now, I like that because people who believe that man is inherently good and that we can achieve peace on this earth on our own, let me say this, they need to be mugged again, don't they? Or they need to go and they need to read uh, what the Bible says. Now, let me say this, that doesn't mean we shouldn't hope for peace and work and pray for peace. We're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the Old Testament tells us. We're to pray for our our leaders and pray for our nation that we can live uh, peaceful lives. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers in our families and with our friends. But it doesn't mean that we're unrealistic in our expectations. As long as people are in charge on this earth, there will be conflict and there will uh, be fighting. There will be no lasting peace until the Prince of Peace comes to take his rightful throne. When Jesus returns to this earth, peace will blanket the earth. A lot of times people don't uh, understand that passage in Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. It's a Christmas passage, but there's what's called a prophetic skip from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus in one verse. Uh, the, old, uh, the, the, uh, the prophets didn't see the, the, the two comings of Jesus uh, as being separate from one another. They saw it as one. And we can look at the, the picture from the side now and see the mountaintops and see the two comings. But in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that is speaking of the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah. But then it skips to the second coming and really overlooks this entire age and says the government will be upon his shoulders. That's what's going to happen when he comes back. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it goes on and says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what's coming in the future when the Lord Jesus returns and the Prince of Peace comes to rule and reign on this earth. So, through the first advent of Jesus, his coming that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has brought to us who will trust in Him, spiritual peace and emotional peace and relational peace. Peace with God, peace within, peace with others. That's what Jesus brought through His first coming. And at His second coming, He will usher in global peace. And I don't know about you, but the older I'm getting and the more I look at this world, I'm looking for the day when He's going to come and I'm trying to live in light of that day and more and more I'm longing for that day to come when the Prince of Peace will come and these things will be true. Isn't that beautiful? The greatness of His government and peace. There will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and with righteousness. What we want in this world from that time on, and forever. We long for that and we look for it. A lot of you have heard the story, I'm sure, about Henry uh, Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote that great song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The story behind that, that hymn, that beautiful Christmas carol, is compelling. Um, in, in 1860, Longfellow was at his peak. His success as a poet was celebrated throughout the nation. Uh, there was a, a buoyant sense of optimism in, the, in America as Abraham Lincoln had been elected president. But all that was shattered quickly when uh, the um, Civil War broke out. And then adding to that, Longfellow had a a terrible personal heartbreak in his life. Um, His wife was burned to death in a tragic accident in their home. And as he tried to save her, he was uh, burned badly as well and wasn't even able to go to her funeral. And uh, kind of avoided going out in public a lot after that because of the scars he was left with. In his diary for 1861, he wrote these words, how inexpressibly sad... Or the holidays. The following year is that the death toll began to mount in the Civil War, and in just a, an almost incomprehensible way, he wrote this in Christmas of eighteen sixty-two: "A Merry Christmas, say the children. There is no more for me." And it got even worse for him. His son went away and joined uh, the Union Army, I and mean, he was severely wounded and and came back home. And what he tried, what he did in eighteen sixty-three is. He wanted to try to pull himself out of the despair. And being a great poet and a writer, he decided to to try to write something really to encourage himself. And he started out and he wrote those famous words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carol play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then he stopped and he thought about the condition of of, of the United States at that time. The terrible battle of Gettysburg had just happened a few months earlier. Everything was looking dark in his life. And he says, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then he caught the eternal perspective and he began to to see the circumstances of his life from God's point of view and wrote that last beautiful stanza, then peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the Prince of Peace. There will never be peace on this earth until he comes. But you know, the same thing is true for your life and for my life. We can say, look, there's never going to be peace in this world until the Prince of Peace comes. We can also say the same thing about our own lives. There'll never be peace in your heart and in your life until the Prince of Peace comes into your heart. Jesus is the Prince of Peace for this world, but he's your Prince of Peace as well. There is no peace without the Prince of Peace, without the Christ of Christmas. We all know the story, I think now probably, of, of Louis uh, Zamperini, the, the book and the movie Unbroken. Uh, back in uh, 1943, the, the B-24 he was in malfunctioned and was ditched into the Pacific. Uh, he and uh, the pilot survived 45, 47 days in a rubber raft. Uh, he endured the vicious brutality of a, a Japanese POW camp, especially one especially brutal guard that they called the Bird. But after uh, the war ended in 1945, Zamperini came home, but he didn't find any peace. Um, There was rage and shame and violent flashbacks he had and and constant nightmares about that brutal guard uh, named the Bird. Um, His drinking uh, got out of control just trying to to push down all the the, the rage and the the fear and the the anxiety that was in his life. His his marriage that was a, a new marriage was basically falling apart. And in uh, October 1949, he went in Los Angeles to hear a young preacher who was just getting his start named Billy Graham. And he went to hear Billy Graham preach, and he found peace for the first time in his life. In uh, his book called Devil at My Heels, here's how he describes it. After asking Christ into my heart, I waited And then, true to his promise, he came into my heart and my life. The moment was more than remarkable. It was the most realistic experience I ever had. I'm not sure what I expected. Perhaps my life or my sins or a great white light would flash before my eyes. Perhaps I'd feel a shock like being hit by a bolt of lightning. Instead, I felt no tremendous sensation, just a weightlessness and an enveloping calm that let me know that Christ had come into my heart. Isn't that beautiful? A weightlessness. The burden was gone. His sins were lifted. All these things he's carried were gone. An enveloping calm. That's peace. Louis Zamperini found peace in Jesus Christ. He found peace with God, and he found the peace of God in his life as well. And you and I can find it as well. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we can have uh, spiritual peace and emotional peace and peace with others. Jesus comes to give peace to those who will receive him and those who will trust in him and give him uh, their burdens. It's a peace that every one of us can know, that we can know this Christmas through Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you now this morning, and we thank you for the coming of our Lord Jesus into the world. And we pray that you'd help us this Christmas, each one of us, to unwrap unwrap this gift of peace that you've given to us through your Son. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, and they would say honestly as they sit here this morning, they would say, I know that I don't have peace with God. I've never trusted Christ and believed in Him like Louis Zamperini did. I want peace with God. If that's you here this morning, then come and take Jesus to be your Savior. Believe in Him and receive Him and accept Him. Father, I pray for those of us that have peace with God, that we can have peace within, that we can experience that weightlessness and that, that burden's lifted in life so that we can be walking, talking islands of peace in a world that has such agitation and turmoil in it. Lord, that we can experience this peace within, and that peace will radiate from our lives, It will give us peace in our marriages and in our homes, between parents and children and with our in-laws and all of our family. And Father, most of all, we long for that day when the Prince of Peace will come, the government will be upon his shoulders, and that peace he brings will never end. Oh, Father, may he come soon. May his name be praised forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction as we're dismissed. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to look at another one of these Christmas decorations at Light. We'll talk about Light next week. Um, If you're a guest or a visitor, we're glad you're here with us. Thank you for coming and spending this Lord's Day uh, here near the Christmas season. Uh, with us. If you go out these doors to your left, there's a, a uh, area out there, a, a welcome center where some folks here would love to greet you and give you some more information about our church. Well, let's bow in prayer now as we commit ourselves to the Lord as we leave here and leave with his blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. All God's people said, amen.